Thank you, Eric. And we are still in the uh, the waiting period to move to a new location, which uh, should be within the next month. There's been a little bit of delay, but nevertheless, we are grateful for the, the new space that God has provided for us. Okay, so today we are on the third sermon for the book of Malachi. Okay, the book of Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, and in it we are learning how God is speaking to his people and is done in a series of uh, sort of like a first scene, second scene, and there's six of these called disputations. And basically God is calling out his people for their unfaithfulness. And the people in return are for once not admitting or recognizing that they have failed God, but they are also continuing in further rebellion. As we will see today in the third disputation, which starts in chapter 2 of Malachi, the issue has to do with a rebuke to the priests. So who were the priests? In the Old Testament, the priests were the ambassadors of God, the people that God has chosen, the group that God had chosen among the people of Israel to minister to his people in order to teach the word to his people. And they had basically turned that calling into a corrupt practice. The parallel for us today is those of us that are in leadership in the church. <clears throat> and it's a, a very hard word, a very serious warning for anybody that is in a position of leadership, especially when it comes to the things of God. So with that, uh, let us stand for the reading of God's word. We are in Malachi chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And we will read through verse 9. <clears throat> the word of God says, And now, O priest, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send this the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them, because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring, and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge. And people should seek instruction from his mouth. But he, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people. And as much as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, because your word is true. 
May your Holy Spirit, Lord, give me conviction to preach your word, to preach this passage according to your will. I depend on your help, Lord, through your Holy Spirit. May your people receive it, and may we grow by knowing your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So when it comes to physical nutrition and lack thereof, malnourishment, there is currently a big crisis around the world, but specifically in the United States. This malnourishment has been come to known, or someone has coined the phrase, hidden hunger. Why hidden hunger? Well, this is what many experts have referred to in the case where the issue is not really lack of food. There is food available. But the problem is that the food people are eating is very deficient in nutrients, in the essential uh, vitamins and proteins and, and a balanced meal plan that people can have so that they can be healthy and ultimately so that they can have a healthy lifespan. It is estimated that approximately 85% of Americans lack the essential vitamins from a healthy eating lifestyle and thereby greatly shorten their healthy lifespan. This is especially crucial for children in their development phases, such as infants, toddlers. So then the question is, in the case of this young children being malnourished, who's to blame? We know that there's many factors, right? Many factors are at play, but it has been shown that the vast majority of the cases, the lack of proper nutrition is because of the lifestyles of the parents, the guardians, those that are caring for those children. So they choose convenience rather than intentional time ensuring that their kids get a nutritious meal, choose junk food over healthy food, which their children would will quickly receive, right? I know I have two little ones. It's easier for us to just give them junk and they'll eat it up quick, right? It's, harder, it's much harder to cook a healthy meal and then sit with them, let alone go through the hassle of trying to get them to eat healthy food. So as parents, we many times are guilty of this malnourishment and we become part of the hidden hungry, hidden hunger epidemic. So what's the big deal about hidden hunger? Well, it has long-term effects. Malnutrition will lead to the children not fully developing certain uh, body and, and mental functions. It'll later contribute to childhood obesity. It'll translate to adult obesity. It'll translate to high blood pressure, to heart disease, etc., etc., etc. Nevertheless, this is not really a sermon about nutrition. But why am I saying all this? If malnutrition, when it comes to our physical bodies, is so important, how much more important is our spiritual nutrition for our soul? Just like there's hidden hunger that we can appreciate and see in the bodies that we are given, hidden hunger in spiritual things is even harder to see. It's not as easy. 
And hence, I've titled today's sermon, What Are You Being Fed? What are you being fed? Realize that many churches are being fed spiritual junk food, left and right. Just like physical junk food, spiritual junk food is very easy to intake. Give me more. I want more. Easily received, hardly any objections. But the long run of being fed spiritual junk food has detrimental consequences to the soul. So then the question, just when we ask, who is responsible for the kids being malnourished and suffering from hidden hunger as they grow, we must ask, who then is responsible for the spiritual food that is being fed in the congregations? That's me. It's Pastor Kevin, our deacon Eric, when he teaches. We are responsible. So what am I feeding you as one teaching from this pulpit? Spiritual junk food? Or is it spiritual nourishment which God will use to restore your heart and your soul and transform your mind? In this passage before us, which is the third disputation of Malachi, it's a continuation of God's claims against his people. First, he said that he loved them, but then he pointed out their ingratitude. They don't recognize that he loves them. Secondly, as uh, Pastor Kevin preached last week, God called them out for the people dishonoring him. And they really were not aware of that. How are we dishonoring you? There was really no admission of it. Now, in this third disputation, God is addressing the priests, the leaders. He's rebuking them for being corrupt in their leadership. So the priests are being corrupt and they're being called out by God. The priests are the ones in charge of the Old Testament rituals and offerings. They were the ones God had chosen as his ambassadors and they were failing at it. Now, although the priests were going through the motions, they were doing the sacrifices, their motives, their teachings, and their leadership was corrupt. They dishonored God in their service, in their teaching, and thus, it led to the people that they were leading to being misled, misguided, gone astray. So the general theme we're going to see here is that a corrupt priesthood, a corrupt leadership in the church will lead astray the people that they lead. We're going to see that the priests do not listen. Then we're going to see that the priests have betrayed the covenant that God had with the priests. And as a result, people are going astray and being misled. So let us break down each of these three points. First, we're going to look at the priest not listening. And the consequence of that being a curse that God sends them. Verse 1 is addressing the priest. It says, and now, O priest, this command is for you. So God has spoken in general to the people. And now he has specific commands and higher expectations for the leaders that applies to in today's church. There is a higher expectation for the elders and the deacons. 
the high responsibility in the church falls on the leaders. Similarly, God also speaks to us in the family context in general, but also has specific instructions depending on the position of every, every family member, from the children, to the wife, to the husband. And the concept that we learn is one that we know as federal headship. The buck stops with someone. Right? If my home is not in order, the buck stops with me. It's not my wife's fault, it's not my kid's fault. I'm responsible for that. Any of you who run a household, uh, household, the same applies to you. So is it with the church. The buck stops with the leadership. So in this, as I told you just a bit earlier, this is a very high calling for anyone in leadership. One day I will stand before God Almighty and I will have to give an account for every word that I spoke from this pulpit. That is pretty sobering. <clears throat> the book of James chapter 3, the first verse, it says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. There's many more passages like it, but the idea is there. Anyone in leadership will be held to a higher standard. But also for each of you, because after all, each of you is in some form of leadership, either in your house, or in your relationships, or in your businesses. There will be a day where you will give an account for the way you led your household, for the way that you led your kids and taught them, for the way you ran your businesses, because after all, whatever work we are given is a gift from God, and we are to be honoring God in whatever it is that He gives us. And we are not to lead others astray in the way that we lead. Matthew 18, 6, Jesus is speaking and he says, But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned into the depth of the sea. Misleading those that we have influence over is a grave sin against God. So this message for sure is a hard rebuke, putting on blast a deficient and complacent leadership. Addressed to the priest. Verse 2. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Right? They don't listen. God is going to curse them. God says, actually, I already cursed you because you didn't listen. It's a done deal. And the leaders of God's people, we are told in that verse that they have failed to honor God. Honor. We've spoken about that word before here. Kavod, in the, in the original Hebrew, it means a certain heaviness and importance that will cause those listening to have reverence, to know the weightiness of the matter. They don't put that heaviness, that importance, that reverence towards God. And then it says, you will not listen. This is the same Hebrew word that is used in the Shema in Deuteronomy 6.4. You will not listen. And here it indicates a hearing that is followed by obedience. Because they could hear what God is telling them through Malachi. But it's a different thing 
listening, even understanding, but not obeying. The book of James also talks about that, right? So then God says, a curse is upon them. What is a curse? Well, first of all, the curse is not because of lack of knowledge. They know. They know what they should do. But they haven't done it. For every priest is aware of their responsibilities. According to Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 2, chapter 22 rather. And they are disregarding to perform the duties that they've been called to do. Whatever it is, out of laziness, ungratefulness, bitterness, whatever it is. They're failing to fulfill their role. And in their dire situation, because by the context of the book, they, they have gone through a lot, they have suffered. In this situation, they don't realize that they find themselves there because of their disobedience. They're reaping the consequence of that. And who do they blame for the situation? They're blaming God. Like, God's like, how had you loved us? Like, you don't care about us. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones has a good quote, and it says, quote, God manifests his wrath against the sin of many by just allowing men to reap the consequences of his own actions. Sometimes just suffering the consequences of our own disobedience, that is God's judgment. That is God's wrath coming upon you, coming upon me in our disobedience. So then the blessing that God says he's going to turn into curses, it could be two things. It could be either the tithes, the money that the priests receive, because they live off of that, as they're calling, right? And God says, I'm going to curse that so that whatever it is that they receive monetarily will be, it's already going to be misused. They're not going to have any fulfillment from that. There's many ways in which money can be a curse, right? So it could be either that, or it could be that the blessings that the priest pronounce on the sacrifices or the blessings that they pronounce on the people, that could be turned into a curse. How can a pastor speak blessings upon a congregation when he is dishonoring God? It's not possible. So therefore, how could the priests speak blessings upon their people if they are dishonoring God? Again, this is a tough calling. Verse 3. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken with it. God has strong language. The word there is the word for feces. When animal sacrifices were made in the Old Testament, there were certain parts of the animal that were unacceptable. They needed to be trimmed out and taken outside the camp. That is well described in Exodus 29, 14, Leviticus 4, 11, and 12. So those parts of the animal were waste. It's feces. You don't take that before God. What were the people doing? They were bringing that along with their sacrifice. What were the priests doing? They were welcoming. Come on. Come on in. See that? God will not be mocked. 
God is making a point that he will bring humiliation to those who dare to bring an abomination as a form of worship. God will not be mocked. And the greater judgment will fall not only on the people, but on the leaders that are okay, that welcome it, that approve it. Because they should know better. So then the question is, how do we worship? How do I worship? Are we worshiping God in the, in the same way that the world says they worship a man upstairs? Are we worshiping God in the same way that cults do? Are we offering garbage to God in our offerings? Whether it's our money, whether it's our time, whether it's our talents, do we offer God our remains? Which is what Pastor Kevin talked about last week. How are we honoring God in our offerings? Dr. James White says it well when he said, true worship must worship God as He exists, not as we wish Him to be. God has designated a way for Him to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. Many people say, I'm spiritual. Jesus said, yeah, you're going to worship in spirit and in truth. If we don't worship in truth, we're playing idolatry with someone that is not God. So therefore, I am accountable. Pastor Kevin is accountable. Accountable to God for the teaching we give you of how you should worship God. If we are aware of someone here in our congregation worshiping God in an unbiblical way, we are responsible to God. If we don't faithfully, gracefully, lovingly point you to the Word of God, to what He says in His Word about how He should be worshipped. Second point, the priests have betrayed God's covenant with Levi. Verses 4 and 5, So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave him to him. I, it was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. So let's break down this portion a little bit. Covenant with Levi. Who's Levi? And what's the covenant that God made with him? What's the agreement? What's the pact that God made with Levi? Levi was the ancestor of Aaron, who was ordained as the first priest of Israel. So Levi is the patriarch of the priests, the tribe of Levi, one of the 12 tribes. And God decreed a covenant with Levi, which we can see in Leviticus 10, 11, and in Deut Deuteronomy 31, 11 through 13. So it's a few verses, but I think it's important that we read it so that we get the context of what we're going to explain next. Le uh, Leviticus 10, 11 says, the covenant that God made with Levi, it says, And you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. Deuteronomy 31, 11 to 13 says, When all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Assemble the people, men, women, and little ones, and the sojourner within your towns, that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God, and be careful to do all the words of this law, and that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God, 
as long as you live in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. Okay? A lot of good key points here that we're going to explore here in just a bit. So that's the covenant that God gave to Levi. In contrast to Levi, who God says honored the covenant, the descendants of Levi now have totally trampled that covenant. They are not doing it. So then, how did Levi keep that covenant? Because it seems like it's pretty tough to keep. And that we're going to see in the next verses. And we'll go back to that covenant description in a bit. Verses 6 and 7 say, True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. So Levi then was faithful. He was true to the instruction to follow what God has said. Walking in obedience and uprightness. How? Well, let's go back to the instructions of the covenant. It says, teach this people of Israel all the statues that the Lord spoke to Moses. Lord spoke. God's word. Follow that. Look at that. See what Moses said. You see that? And then it says, read God's law before all Israel. Read. It's right here. Read. Read God's word before all Israel, before the people. So they would hear and learn from the Lord. God's word. Read it. Bring the people together. Teach them. So that they would hear and learn and do right obedience is implied. And who does it apply to? Men, women, children, the little ones, and any visitors that you have. Bring them all. They all need to leave. They all need to hear. They all need to listen. <coughs> so then this is a great responsibility. How can we honor God's command? How can we honor God's covenant? By being faithful to what he has said, to his word. There's no other way. If we try to bring in any other way, we are going to go astray. And as a shepherd, as a pastor, I would be responsible for that. So let us explore this a little bit further that will be an application to our very day that we're living today. Remember we spoke about malnourishment at the opening of the sermon? Well, there is some malnourishment in churches today, very specific. Pastors are going outside the bounds of Scripture in order to teach about so-called justice, so-called equality, so-called tolerance, inclusion. And that's a bunch of garbage. It's unbiblical. I will be more specific. Many churches, either knowingly or unknowingly, have either added to or replaced biblical teachings of the Bible altogether with what is known as critical race theory and intersectionality. What is that? I'll briefly describe it for you. Intersectionality is the idea that there's a hierarchy of oppressed groups, oppressed people. And the more victimhood groups that you belong in, 
the higher in that pyramid that you are. And the more of a right that you have to speak. And the more of a right that you have over others that are underneath you. Critical race theory, similarly, has two presuppositions that you must accept. You must accept. Number one is that racism is ingrained in the fabric and system of all of American society, church included. And number two, that there's power structures and those power structures are based on white privilege and white supremacy. And these must be overthrown by any and all means necessary. Okay? Racism is everywhere, in every situation, in every system. And that's as a result of white privilege, white supremacy, and we must overthrow it. So those two presuppositions, according to critical race theory, cannot be questioned. Those are non-negotiable. Okay? So in critical race theory, the question is never, is racism present in this scenario, in this organization in this system? That's the wrong question. The right and only right question to begin that conversation is, how is racism present here? Right? So if somebody were to come to this church with critical race theory in mind and they are being consistent, they would ask me, Gerardo, how is the church that you're in racist? You see that? And then if I object to that, I become exhibit A I become the proof that I'm contributing to the racist system. You see that? Many times we have asked ourselves, perhaps, or I know I have, in speaking with people in the, before the pandemic, speaking to people at universities or out in the street, many times you find that it's not even possible to have a civil conversation or a rational conversation with somebody that has just different viewpoints than you, you come to find out that this is why. Because by and large, academia, by and large, pop culture has embraced critical race theory and intersectionality without even knowing it many times. And it has for sure infiltrated into the church. So then in critical race theory, there is no forgiveness. There is no justification. There is no restoration. The closest that you may come to any such concept in critical race theory would be accept the presuppositions of the assured racism of all white people and, get this, and anyone who's not white that doesn't agree with them. So I would be considered a racist too. That's why black people that disagree with critical race theory are told that they have internalized whiteness. They're not really black. Another thing you could do in order to atone in critical race theory would be to give your life over to a lifelong penance by becoming anti-racist, which means a commitment to seeing the world first and foremost on the basis of race. And anyone who disagrees with you you must rebuke, you must cancel them, 
you must ruin their livelihood, their business, and essentially ruin their life because they're in non-compliance with the new normal. There is no forgiveness. It is a life of per perpetual suffering for your racial sins. Now here's the key. Who do you think that the top oppressor in critical race theory and intersectionality is? Not only the white, but the Christian. Okay? We are the number one offender, the Christians. That is the biblical Christians that we believe in the Bible. I don't know if you guys have seen, uh, there's several videos online of the so-called life, uh, Black Life Matters group that go around and literally tell people to chant their slogans and if they don't, they ask them, are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? In an intimidation tactic to make them, to make them comply with chanting their mantras. The Christian is the top offender to critical race theory and intersectionality. And this is being taught all over the universities, all over the big, bigger companies. They'll bring in consultants to teach you this. And I'm not surprised by that. But it is now in the churches, alive and well. So what does the gospel teach? The gospel tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's no exception made of this based on skin, male, and count. Racism exists because man is wicked, because we are depraved, because we are rebels against God, and because we might hate someone with a different skin color than ours, because we are sinful. That's why it exists. And the gospel call all who engage in racism to repent, to restoration, in the full atonement that was once and for all done by Jesus. That's the answer. So that we can repent, so that we have a transformed life of compassion, of thanksgiving, of charity, of love, and that our conversion will show fruit to be able to love, to be able to claim and to live what the scripture says about there being no Gentile, no, no Greek, no Jew, no male, no female, nor mas no master or slave, so that we are all one in Christ because we are all made in the image of God. And as such, we have intrinsic value. So the reasons why many pastors have fallen into critical race theory and intersectionality and they're feeding that spiritual junk or more like spiritual poison to their congregations, the reason it's dangerous is because this type of philosophy is godless, atheistic, materialistic. It is unfalsifiable. There's no way for you to raise a question to them. And it's committed to deconstructed society but above all because it stands in contradiction to the forgiveness found in the gospel of Jesus Christ so then if a pastor does not call out 
these destructive teachings, that pastor is not fit to be in the pulpit. And that pastor will have to give an account to God for misleading his people. So in this may we repent if we are not loving our neighbor because they look different. Because that is a sin against the creator who made them in his image. First and foremost, it's an offense to the creator. May we repent also of inviting or accepting all these types of godless worldview and add it as a form of works into what has been written in God's word already. We cannot add to the gospel. Galatians chapter 1 tells us if anybody comes and tries to teach you another gospel, not that there is another, he says, right? If you try to put another gospel that is not the gospel that has been taught in scripture, Paul says, let him be accursed. So anyways, why all this? Because it says that true instruction was in the mouth of the priest that honored the covenant. The parallel to now is that we must be consistent with the teachings of scripture in what we teach. And it's not theoretical. This is applicable to our everyday lives. We must guard our mind. We must guard our, our heart of secular, atheistic worldview that would either add or replace Bible teaching altogether. Racism is a spiritual problem and therefore it will never be addressed with godless solutions. Never. What are we being fed? Okay, and then we're going to look at what was the result of the unfaithful leaders. Verse 8, But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. That's verses 8 and 9. So the unfaithful teaching of God's word will lead to to unfaithful followers. They are told that they have strayed from the way. This is very applicable to us, right? Because what is the way that we should follow? Jesus, what did he say? John 14, 6. I am the way. I am the truth of life. Nobody comes to the Father except for me. The way. We cannot stray from the way. And about bad teachers, what did Jesus tell us? In, in Matthew 15, 14, he said about the religious leaders, he says, they are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, what will happen? Both will fall into the pit. So the priests were then also teaching with partiality. That means with favoritism. They were breaking God's repeated commands to deal fairly with everyone. Favoritism whether it is something to their convenience or catering their teaching to someone that is under them so that they can get uh, favor with them. Monetary or what have you. Favoritism. So then what, is, what does all this mean? Well, we have seen that God 
will humble and humiliate those in positions of authority who dishonor him. I recently seen a, uh, a pretty funny meme online that said, it showed a picture of a televangelist and it said, uh, here's the pastors waiting for the pandemic to be over so they can go back to healing people. <laughs> Silly. But many teachers do that. So-called teachers, right? And many will say, how come they're like living a great life? You know, they have a lot of money. They have congregations the size of a football stadium. Like, why? God will not be mocked. God will humble and humiliate those that dishonor him. And then we also learn that those who lead God's people, when they are unfaithful, the people will also be unfaithful. Disobedience will lead to harsh consequences. And many times that's the way that God will judge us for our disobedience. And it's important then to ask us back to the question, what are you being fed? It is my responsibility to feed you God's word. It is your responsibility to check whether what I'm teaching you is biblical. Reminds us of Acts chapter 17, where Paul said he commended the Bereans. Why? Because it says that as, as he taught them, the Bereans went back to what was their Old Testament, right? Went back to the scriptures to see if what Paul was teaching was true. So then I quickly turn to then what is the responsibility on the hearer, on you? And the question is not what are you being fed, but what are you feeding yourself? Are you eating up spiritual junk food? It, it abounds. Self-help, positive thinking gurus, superstition, false religion, political party talking points, yes. What are you feeding yourself on? We must be feeding ourselves on God's word. And if we're not, we should repent. Lastly, in verse 6, when it speaks of Levi and his righteousness, and how he honored the covenant. It says that true instruction was in his mouth and no wrong was found in his lips. I believe this is a prophecy that is pointing us to an even greater priest. The priest that was named after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus, the Savior, God in flesh. 1 Peter 2.22, speaking of Jesus, says, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. See the similarity? But here it tells us that Jesus, he was not only upright, he was perfect. He says he committed no sin. The perfect priest, Jesus. So then we have hope now because our mediator, our ultimate and our only priest, is seated on the throne, Jesus. We don't longer need human priests because the title of ultimate priest has been given to Jesus. He is our eternal priest. 
And by trusting in Him, we have forgiveness of our sins. He gives us His grace, His mercy, His loving kindness. And everything that He has promised to His children is ours. His righteousness, His forgiveness, and inheritance of eternal life. In that we can hope. In the perfect priest, Jesus, the Savior. May we trust in Him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you because you've given us the one priest that has never failed. You have given us the righteousness of Christ to those who believe. Lord, if we have not believed, if we have strayed, or rather when we have strayed, may your Holy Spirit convict us to turn us back to you. That we would, we would abide by your teaching, Lord, for the way that we can remain upright is only by remaining true to your word. Guard our minds, our hearts, Lord, from godless ideologies and godless philosophies. Now, as a matter of fact, help us to refute them and to show how your word stands above all the junk food that we can have spiritually. Grant us that, O oh Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.